to try to get Jesus not to do it because he knew that would end his reign, you know, over the flesh and the world. Jesus would put him under his feet. But anyway, he told him, this is not the way to deal with it. That was when they were in the garden and Jesus had prayed three times, three hours, and he kept coming back to his disciples and he'd say, can you not pray with me one hour? And he had had those three, Peter, James, and John, he brought a little bit farther from the others and, and uh, they fell asleep. And uh, it's easy to do that. I used to try to have all-night prayer meetings when I was associate pastor up in House Springs. And, you know, an all-night prayer meeting, that's a lot of praying. Plus, you better have taken a nap that day because it's easy if you kneel down or lay down on the seat to go to sleep. And so these disciples, you know, it was already nighttime when they went to uh, the garden and they found out that it wasn't so easy to pray. So even though Jesus favored them, said, come with me a little bit farther. Let's pray together. Well, while he was praying, you know, they were sleeping. And he'd come back two times and said, can't you even pray with me uh, for an hour? So it was three hours that he prayed. And then all of a sudden these soldiers show up. And uh, he said, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am he. And when he said that, the power of God hit the whole uh, group of soldiers and they fell on the ground just from his authority. You know, he is the I am God, is he not? And so when he said, I am he, he was saying who he was. And the power of God, they couldn't take him. He said, you can't take me, really. I give up my life, you know. Nobody can take my life. I give it up. And so he did that for us because he showed his love for us when he went to the cross. And so we see uh, how God is in the middle. And he told him, because Peter took out his sword and <laughs> whacked that soldier, cut his ear off. And Jesus did a miraculous thing. He picked up the ear and stuck it right back on. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? But the power of God can do something like that. Put his ear back together again, just as if it had never been cut. And he said, put your sword away. I have to do what God has called me to do. And sometimes anger gets in the way of doing what God really wants to be done. Amen? And sometimes we can't do what God wants us to do if we're mad. You know, and that's the thing about preaching even. And I don't know if I've had this discussion with Zach. He hadn't had much trouble, I don't think, with it. But sometimes as preachers, preachers can be disappointed and people and they start preaching mad and upset. But you know what? It doesn't help. You need to just preach the word in love and God will change people. But uh, you can't get mad because people aren't doing this or that. Uh, we helped start a church in Jackson, Mississippi, and, and the pastor had really gotten touched in one of my meetings I held down there. And so this guy wanted to start a church, and so I helped him, and we backed him. And, and I went down there a few times, and uh, he just told me, he said, these people won't get out and win people. They won't bring people in. And he said, I'm just thinking about closing this down. I said, well, how many people do you have? He said, about 40. I said, well, if you want to, just 
uh, tell me and I'll send somebody else in here. They'd be happy to get 40 people to start with. You know, he wasn't too crazy about that. and It wasn't much too longer than he shut that church down. That was just a crying shame, you know, because that was 40 people that were with him. And so sometimes, you know, uh, people get mad because he really thought this thing would just take off. But it takes some real commitment to see those things happen. And uh, my brother told me one day, he said, you know, it's a lot easier to give birth than it is to resurrect the dead. And so it's always sometimes it isn't that easy to start a church, you know, and childbirthing isn't easy for the lady, but it is a little easier than raising something that's already died. And so uh, being raised in a denomination, I saw that happen many times where churches had literally died on the vine. And, you know, there was nothing they could do. Usually when they called for the leadership to come in and help, it was too late. You know, so anyway. This is number one point. We often prevent God from correcting a situation by reacting in anger to a wrong or to an offense. You know, sometimes you just got to let it play out. You can't get all wrapped up and get mad. You, gotta, you can't take offense so easily. Let's read Matthew 26 and 50, Pastor Ken. But Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. Yeah. Who was he saying friend to? Judas. That was that same occasion when Peter whacked that guy's ear off. It was Judas who brought those soldiers to arrest Jesus. And you know what Jesus did? He still called him friend. Don't you know that graded on Judas? Jesus didn't get angry and call fire down from God out of heaven and toast Judas right on the spot. You know, he, he didn't react that way at all. He still reacted in love, and he said, Friend, why have you come? And, of course, Judas was so greatly disappointed and convicted after he had betrayed Jesus, he went out and hung himself. He, you know, he didn't have any move of the Spirit in him. And that's sad. You know, to know. Number two, even Jesus called Judas a friend, and that's because Jesus was meek as a lamb and gentle as a dove. You know, you have to have the right attitude, the right spirit inside of you when you respond to people. He was meek, he was gentle, he didn't react in a harsh way. Number three, anger harbored and mold over and over becomes bitterness. You know, a lot of times, and I've read this in the past couple of weeks, where Hebrews talks about a, a root of bitterness defiles even other people. If you get bitter and angry, it infects other people. Not just affects them, but it infects their spirit. And they start to get that way. And that's when, you know, people become rebellious or in confusion or chaos. You know, it just does no good to be that way. Ephesians 4, 26 tells us something. Be angry and do not sin. 
Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Okay, the first half of that's what we're really looking at in this point. And that is, you know, you can be angry. That's an emotion. I'm not happy when somebody uh, would talk bad about somebody that I love or would come against uh, the work of God in some way. But it, it, he warns us, you can be angry, but don't sin. In other words, don't get out and call him a blankety-blank this and a blankety-blank that, and I'm going to knock your block off if you don't cut it out or whatever. No, you just love. I've had situations where I had people not acting correctly. I remember down in Florida, and I told you how this man had come against the ministry and against me as a leader, and, and I didn't. When we brought that man in front of the board and let him have his say, I didn't say anything. I didn't defend myself because he had lied and told lies. But the board asked him questions. He got up mad and left. I never said a word. And sometimes that's the way it is that you should handle things. You don't have to defend yourself. You know God doesn't need you to defend him. Now you need to have an answer when people have a question and why you believe what you believe or, or what it is that you truly believe and why they should consider it. That's when you should share the truth of God's word. James 1.20 tells us something. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Amen. And, and I put a statement there about this is one of the biggest problems that I have found in marriage counseling is anger. People want to get mad at each other. And, and, and so, you know, I, I tell couples this. Colton's just got married recently, and they have a beautiful baby now. But, you know, when you're talking to people, honey, stand up if you would and come over here. If you're mad, and if you do this, you won't stay very mad. No. <laughs> you can't leave. Got to stay right here. But... I always tell couples, if you'll sit at a table and reach over and grab hands, then it's hard to want to hurt the one that you love and to say really mean things to them. So remember that, or else you'll be in trouble when we get home. <laughs> but it's true, you know, and I would make that a practice in the marriage counseling session. I'd say, you, you won't get... You know, if you pull back in anger and you stomp and you rant and rave, just grab each other's hands and you'll find that you can't stay in that raging, angry, bitter spirit. It just doesn't work. Proverbs 16.32 tells us something. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes the city. Amen. You know, when you're slow to anger, you are better and empowered more than a, a very strong person. You know, human strength, physical strength, is not really a match for the one who can control the emotions and can really deliver truth in such a way that uh, somebody that wants to pound you can't really handle very well. And if you can look somebody in the eye and they see the Spirit of God in you, they can't hardly take it, no matter 
how they'd like to beat you up or something. I remember the book uh, Crossing the Switchblade. It tells the story how David Wilkerson went to New York City because of the gang members he saw on TV that had murdered uh, somebody. And they were on trial, and the Lord spoke to him. He's just a country preacher out in the hills of Pennsylvania, and he went to New York City, and he went there to meet these guys or pray for them. And so he got a burden to set up a ministry in downtown New York, and he started what we call Teen Challenge, which is a drug and alcohol intervention program for young people. But now Teen Challenge has ministered to middle-aged people, even older people at times, but mostly young people. But when uh, he encountered Nicky Cruz, who became an awesome preacher for the kingdom of God, uh, Nicky Cruz looked at him and said, I could cut you up into a thousand pieces. And Dave Wilkerson looked at him and said, but every piece would tell you that I love you. And that broke Nicky Cruz, and he ended up getting saved. And then, of course, another book came out called Run, Baby, Run, which was Nicky Cruz's story about being a gang leader and a drug pusher and all that in New York, how he got saved and how God did a work in him. So it's an awesome thing. Number four, suppressing or repressing anger. I call it the silent treatment. And most men know this because the wives can give you the silent treatment sometimes. And you don't know what to do with it. You know, sometimes Lucille wouldn't talk to me about something, and I was like, man, just tell me something, you know. But she wouldn't argue with me. I call it the silent treatment. <laughs> but uh, that repressing of anger, a lot of times, it's, it's negative. Uh, or even self-pity when you feel sorry for yourself or you have negative criticisms. It doesn't calm down tensions you know, when you have these elements involved. And so the tension's still there, maybe not actively engaging physical uh, activity such as hitting somebody or abusing somebody, you know. And I never could understand how a man could beat a woman or slap one or something like that. It just, you know, that was never in me. And I thank God for that. But, you know, I've counseled a few people where the woman had been beaten or abused, and, and you're talking to a real wounded person when that has occurred. And let's look at Ephesians 4, 26 again, and let's pay attention again to the second half. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Okay, this is always good uh, advice to couples. If you get into an argument, don't go to bed mad. You know, agree to disagree if nothing else, but at least don't go to bed angry because it's not healthy and it's not good for the marriage either because it sits in there and it seethes and it boils and it comes to a head eventually. And then it explodes, you know. So it's just not good to go to bed upset or angry. And, uh, but you got to choose, number five, you choose not to be angry. You can choose to love. 
like when somebody said, oh, we fell in love when we were at such and such a place and so on. I said, no, you didn't. Falling is an accident. I said, you chose to love. You know, somebody, somebody said, well, I sure I'm glad I found my husband or my wife. They were, they're my soulmate. They're the only one that was for me. And I said, well, that's not true. You may feel that way. They happened to intersect with you at a certain point, and you were ready to get married, and they were ready to get married. And so, you know, God blessed it. But I always told people, and they said, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. She was the only one for me or something. And I'd tell them, you know what? If that was the case, what if she chose to go marry somebody else? and she was the only one for you, then you're out. You don't have any hope. But you see, it's a choice that people make when they choose to love. It's not falling. You chose. You met each other. You talked. You got together. You really enjoyed each other's company. But it wasn't because they were the only one for you. It was the fact that that was the one that was had the capacity and they had a probability that y'all would do good together. My wife, if she had told, you know, when we first got together, she said, I'm not attracted to you as much. I usually date Italian-looking guys. I said, oh, okay, well, we'll just keep drinking coffee and going to Zach's Yogurt and, and Dunkin' Donuts and and eventually she found me to be very handsome. She, she took up with me. She decided she was going to love me after all. And I'm glad. But it was a choice. You know, uh, you make choices in life. You can choose to love and you can choose to be angry. You can choose to stay angry if you want to. But it doesn't solve anything. That's where forgiveness comes in. You have to forgive if you want to move on. Forgive them for, you know, Jesus even on the cross, what he say? Lord, forgive them. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do when they nailed him to the cross. They didn't know he was really the Messiah. They didn't recognize him. Although he had done miracles and all kinds of stuff, they just, they didn't know he was the Messiah. One day they're going to know it because he's going to appear before everybody when he returns. And it's going to be awesome when that day comes. So anyway, don't take your anger to bed with you. Point number five is this. Choose to not be angry, but choose to love and honor one another. 1 Corinthians 13, 8. That's down the line of thinking I was sharing with you. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. But what does it say? He said, love does not fail. You know, after you get over your giddiness of getting to know somebody and you choose to get married, I remember I met Danielle there at Tio's, and boy, I said, you know what, you're pretty. I wish you'd, I wish I could introduce you to my son. And finally they met and I wasn't the one that introduced them. And when I came home from a trip, Danielle came to church. And uh, I thought, God, you are so cool. 
I didn't even have to be the one to introduce Zach to Danielle. He found her on his own. And, uh, but, you know, after they got married, now they've got a little baby girl. She is uh, so fun and so sweet. And I can't wait till they have another one. But, you know, since then, they've gone from renting a house, they bought a house, they have bills to pay, they got her uh, uh, SUV to drive, and he drives his car, and he works at the college, he's the pastor here at the church, and, you know, it's real life. It's not pie in the sky. But it, it's great when you love each other and you choose to love each other, and if there's trouble, you forgive each other, and you go on because you're making a life together and you've chosen one another. But, you know, when you first meet, oh, wow, it's like the movies. But then after you go through stuff and you go through having kids and all that and you work hard and you're tired, you know, and life is not as easy as sometimes it was before. And, you know, before I got married, before I had kids, all I had to worry about was making a car payment every month and making that car payment and having enough money to make it to the end of the month because I got paid once a month. And I was a teacher and a coach, and, and boy, at the end of the month, Brother Dave, I could be looking at the peanut butter jar you know, knowing that I'd eaten out too many times. And so I'd hit the peanut butter jar and some bread and jelly if I had to eat peanut butter and jelly the last three days of the month, you know, until I got paid again, you know, as long as I had enough gas to make it to work. But th that's, that wasn't as much to worry about. But once I got married and we started building a life, we started having children, then you think about health insurance and you think about, oh, everything. It's a lot more to it. And so if things get tough, sometimes you, you, you don't agree on everything. So you have to work it out. And when you love, you forgive. You don't get angry and let it stick in your crawl, you know. So number six, make a choice to give up your rights and embrace the cross. You know what Paul said, he said, I pick up my cross daily. In other words, he follows Jesus. When you follow Christ, then you put aside your own desires and wants, and you prefer the other people. And so there's a lot of times there are some selfish people that would let their kids go hungry when they go out and go dancing and drinking and partying it up, and they spent their rent money, and then the wife upset because what are we going to do? We can't go be put out in the street with these kids because of that guy's foolishness, you know. And so we have to change. We have to make choices that are better choices. In Matthew and 5.22, it says, But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Wow. You know, we can't be arrogant to where we say, you're a fool. You're stupid. What are you doing? 
you know. But sometimes people get that way, especially if they're in the same family. They'll say it to each other. Maybe brothers will say to a brother or, or to a close friend or something. And it really divides. It's painful, and it's, it causes friction in a whole uh, group of people a lot of times. And that word raka, it's a word that means empty one or worthless one. And so when somebody says, well, they're just worthless, 1 Peter 2.17 says, honor all, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So you don't go around calling your brothers and sisters fools and raka, worthless ones. But you show honor. No matter whether they did something stupid or not, you still say, you're my brother or you're my sister. You're my child or you're my uncle, you're my parent, and I'm going to try to help you no matter what decision you've made and how it has turned out. I'm going to try to be an honorable person in your life. You know, I put, I'm going to have to put on my reading glass this because I copied it out of the book that I was reading. And here's a quote, it, and it's by Cherie Carter Scott, out of a book called If Love Was a Game. And here are the rules. Well, she said anger makes you smaller while forgiveness forces you to grow beyond what you were. So when you just stay angry, it makes you a smaller person. But when you work through with forgiveness, it helps you to grow. And then we see um, Confucius Y'all ever go to the Chinese restaurant and you get your little fortune cookie and you look? It's amazing how many of those are really good sayings. I like it when it says, you're, you're about to receive a good blessing. I say, hallelujah, thank you, Lord. I received Confucius's word to me today. But he said, when anger arises, think of the consequences. So when you let anger rule your life, think of the consequences. And there's been a lot of people shoot people and end up going to prison because they did not control their anger. And then uh, Elizabeth I, who was alive 1533 to 1603, that was a few centuries ago, and she was quoted in Francis Bacon's book, book called Apophagram. In 1625, I can't even say that word. Uh, somebody else needs to say it for me. But she said, anger makes dull men witty, but it keeps them poor. <laughs> makes them witty, but it keeps them poor. I, I, I just found these to be really interesting sayings. And Epictetus, 55 A.D. to 135 A.D., if you do not wish to be prone to anger, do not feed the habit. Give it nothing which may tend to its increase. In other words, don't feed your anger. It's not going to turn out right. And then in The Dance of Anger by Harriet Lerner in 1985, she said, anger is a signal and one worth listening to. So when anger pops up, you need to listen to it 
and know why it's there. And then this is a good one. Let me see here. Uh, Indira Gandhi said, you can't shake hands with a clenched fist. That's a simple saying, but doesn't it make sense? And then this last part is by Frederick Buckner, who wrote, of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun to lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontations uh, still to come, to savor to the last toothsome morsel both of the pain you're given and the pain you're giving back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The, the chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton of the feast is you. Boy, I have to chew on that a little bit. But it's true. You know, it's a terrible thing what anger does. And we see, I think, did we read 1 Peter 2.17? We did, okay. Well, we overcome anger or rage, point seven, by confessing that we have hostility in our hearts and we need to call it what it is, it's sin. We also ask God to deliver us from it, Ecclesiastes 7, 9. Do not hasten in your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. Wow. Don't hurry to be angry. It won't turn out good. It'll make you a fool. So don't let anger rule your life. And forgiveness is a key. It's so much easier to forgive. Remember what Jesus told Peter? Peter said, well, how many times do I have to forgive for this? Seven times? Is that enough? Sounds like enough, doesn't it? And Jesus responded to him. He said, seven times 70. So we understand. People are going to disappoint you. You're going to have trouble a lot of times. But you got to forgive. And when that one man tried to ruin me, I would mow my grass and I would pray, Lord, I forgive him. Help me, O God. Until one day the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and I was mowing and he said, you don't have to pray for this guy anymore. I said, why is that? He said, you don't have any malice in your heart. You don't want to hurt him. You don't want to ruin him. I didn't have to do a thing. And see, this is the thing. When that guy tried to, to hurt my ministry and lie about me, outright lies, because he thought he could get me out as the pastor then, and he would rescue the day. Well, he lost his contractor's license because he robbed our church of a $1,000 thing on windows. Did the same thing to the First Baptist Church of Homestead. They sued him. And the state took his contracting license. And his company ended up going bankrupt, and he ended up having to move in with his wife's parents and family in Jacksonville, Florida, from Miami. And so, you know what? I didn't have to lift a finger. I didn't have to take revenge. I didn't have to do anything. I just prayed for him, that God would help him, that God would bless him one day. And... Uh, you know, vengeance is the Lord's. He said, I will repay. 
So you know what? When somebody rubs you the wrong way and mistreats you and, and it makes you angry and it could get in your spirit if you let it, just pray it. I forgive, Lord. I forgive them. It doesn't mean you've got to hang around with them. That's the thing. A lot of people that have come like that, I don't hang around with them. I forgive them and I move on. And that's what we've been talking about, moving past forgiveness. You know, once you've forgiven somebody and it's not in your spirit anymore, you can move on and you can have a better life because of it. Amen? Stand with me. Well, I hope some people were watching that couldn't be here that I knew needed to be here or they'll watch it later because I think it will help them to know that anger is not your answer. So, Lord, right now I ask you to bless each one that was here, all those watching by Facebook Live and YouTube, I ask you to bless them as well and allow anger to be rooted out of our hearts and love to fill us up so that we can just have good, good reactions to people that we know have mistreated us or misspoken about us. And we thank you for it in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord.